0: Hi and welcome to episode 16 of That Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Beau. And it's been a really long while. Uh, I can only apologise on on my part of things. Uh, I've been super busy. Um, my uh, For those of you who might recall, um, my mum actually uh, does some childcare for us and... Uh, She's been on holiday for three out of the last four weeks, so I've been doing a lot of childcare myself, daddy daycare, uh, and working in and around that, so I've been super busy, and I believe you've been super busy as well, sir, is that right?
1: Yeah, I've been super busy. Yeah, we've, uh, we have we went to a conference this last weekend, uh, so I was getting ready for that, and I also started uh, working for uh, Palantir on one of their client projects again, so I've, I've actually been really super busy uh, with work stuff, so... Um, I, I would love to say, well, I am just sitting around waiting for Dave to come do a podcast with me, but uh, it's, I've actually been thankful somewhat that I haven't had to take a, a nice two-hour chunk out of my my work week for that. So it's been uh, it's been it's been good, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, even uh, Rebecca's been busy at work as well uh, to the point where she had to go in and and do a day on her what would have been her day off as, at one point. So that was an extra day of childcare where I had to take care of. Uh, so, so yeah, despite that, I'm thoroughly unprepared for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a couple of things uh I, I wanted to mention about the podcast itself. Um, I don't know. I know you usually do this, but there was a couple of things I actually remembered. So I thought I'd mention them. Um, sure. the first one was, uh, David, uh, Zulka. Um, he works at Heroku now, doesn't he? And, uh, he sent a PR to our voicemail app. Uh, and it's now got this fancy, uh, one click deploy button. Uh, so if you have <laughs> a Heroku account, you can literally go to our GitHub repo for that and just click a button and it will deploy it. And I think that's kind of, kind of neat. Uh, I'd not actually seen them before. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Cool.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was, um, we got a mention on, uh, the PHP town hall. Podcast. Uh, it was only a very brief mention. Um, I think uh, I, I think Phil half at some point. I think we meant I think it was me who said it. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to lie. I think I said something about uh, them deprecating PSR zero uh, to try and look busy, and uh, that, <laughs> that really stuck with Phil. And he uh, and he mentioned. Uh, he said hi, Bo and Dave. After mentioning that on one of his uh, episodes, <laughs> I think it was two or three episodes back. Now they're way busier. They they can't be as busy as we are. So uh. yeah,
1: yeah. I I think that uh, I think he has a post about the 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 ridiculous things that people said in 2014, and I'm pretty sure we're on that list. Oh, we made it to that. Oh, yeah, we made it on that list too. So, uh, thank you, Phil, for listening. I I I think that I remember him listening to that on the airplane. Like he made a point of like tweeting that he was going to listen to that episode. On, on the plane and when he landed he, he talked about how he just bust out laughing and uh, made a scene uh, to all the people around him who didn't know what he was listening to and he just started laughing so yeah, yeah. Oh, well, appreciate we, that Phil <laughs> yeah
0: I I think he'll be glad to be uh, hearing himself back on the show anyway because he he, he, uh, he tweeted me and said he, did, he noticed that we hadn't mentioned him for a couple of episodes or something I, I, I think at one point he got mentioned in three or four episodes on the bounce so he was there uh, I just wondered if we'd forgotten about him, but we haven't forgotten. And in fact, no. I, I, in fact, I did have a note to uh, mention uh, something pretty cool he did. He um, one of his blog posts, he wrote a "Meet the League" blog post, uh, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really cool. Um, I mentioned some time ago that Taylor Otwell wrote a post, uh, a blog post, just mentioning a few of the people who inspire him and stuff. And it was, yeah. it was, it, I thought it was a good post at the time. And I thought as a community, we could do with a few more of those kind of posts. -hmm. Uh, And this one from Phil was really good. It was basically ran down a few of the uh, PHP League uh, members, saying a little bit about them, and it was pretty cool. And I remember, I also remember that you put out a similar post a week later. But Mm -hmm. to be fair to you, you had written that about a a month before and just and uh, and held it back. So uh, yeah, there was no copying involved.
1: (laughs) Uh, I I remember messaging you saying. Said, that's that's a lot like my post. Now I'm going to put that in a week, and everyone's going to think everyone's jumping on this bandwagon. But it's all good. I know that you know. Who knows how long ago Phil had written that? It doesn't really matter. Nobody's copying anybody. Anytime we do something good for the community or for the better of the community, I think that's good. So I yeah, yeah. was really cool to see that he put that out there.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, you see, I mean, I think in general we see a lot of uh, nice tweets about our uh, I wouldn't say colleagues, but people in the people in our community. We you know, but but tweets mm-hmm. don't they get washed away don't they really quickly but yeah. a blog post or i suppose on podcasts uh, are pretty good mm. as well but uh, it means a little yeah. bit something a more, little I more think, longevity uh, it's a bit more of a permanent record yep.
1: so i have some podcast related news as well um i found a new service that i signed us up for um it's my podcast reviews okay um and what it does is it goes to all of those Region specific podcast uh, review sites on Uth- uh, on iTunes.: Oh, yeah, and aggregates them, so I found a new one, which I'm pretty sure it was new. I don't recall seeing it. It was actually a rather lengthy, really nice review from Mark Relton, which I know we've mentioned him several times on the podcast. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a, a pretty nice review, so we appreciate that mark so which, um,
0: which iTunes
1: will that be on because he's in, he lives in Dubai right now,
0: I think doesn't you he? know, I
1: don't know if it actually told me. Yeah. um or I, did, I i think i kind of wanted to look but i didn't see anything I, about it me so i think
0: he's irish or mm-hmm. or at least lived in ireland and then moved out to dubai with his uh, his wife's uh, uh work took them out there uh but yeah I just wondered
1: yeah so that was kind of cool um and i wanted to mention reviews because i would love to get more reviews it really helps us a lot so that other people can know what we talk about and that other people enjoy listening to us so if anyone's out there and you like what you hear Definitely leave us a review. It really helps us out a lot.
0: Yeah, um, and just apologize for those people who don't have iTunes because it's a real pain. Yeah,
1: to, uh, yeah. yeah. If anyone wants to leave a, another kind of review, they can leave it on voicemail, or they can email us. Yeah, and we'll find a place to put. Maybe we can find a place to put it on our website. That'd be kind of nice. too. Yeah, that
0: would be cool. Yeah,
1: non iTunes review section. So uh, we were also in PHP Jeopardy, which I'd heard about before, uh, but when I was in PHP Benelux. I actually saw our Jeopardy card. So I took a picture of it. <laughs> nice. Uh, because, uh, it was, uh, I think it was two PHPs and a podcast or something like that. And yeah, so I, I got a picture of us projected on a big wall, our, our little, uh, avatar picture. So that was pretty cool. So thank you, Jeremy Michaela for, uh, helping add us to the enjoyment of PHP Jeopardy. That was pretty awesome. Um, we got a comment from, I think it was our uh, our last December post, our last December podcast from Brendan Mueller. Uh, he mentioned the shout out that we had for Dave Ramsey's book. And he mentioned that Luke Stokes used to work for Dave Ramsey. Did you know that?
0: No, I didn't know that. But I do, I have spoke to Luke about, all right, if I haven't spoken to Luke about the books in particular, I've seen him speaking about it either on twitter okay. to somebody or something so i knew there was a connection if it was the mm. most tiniest connection in that he'd read the books but right i didn't know i used to work for them now
1: yeah so thank you for that that tip brandon that was pretty awesome um we also got a tweet from christopher moss uh saying that he was really enjoying checking out our podcast uh he listened to episodes one and episodes 10 so hopefully he's still listening and has listened to a few more episodes since then yeah hope so yeah and uh we should mention mention that we're sponsoring things now oh yeah uh, yeah sponsor- that's a good idea yeah so we sponsored Midwest PHP which had just happened which I, I may talk about later or i may talk about it on our next episode uh but we we're we're sponsoring a couple of conferences including Midwest PHP Uh, We were involved in the uh, Pacific Northwest PHP Kickstarter, so uh, we're going to be sponsoring that as well, uh, which is in Seattle, uh, which is pretty awesome. I I got a chance to talk to Jeremy Lindblom about it quite a bit this weekend because he was at Midwest PHP, so uh, we got to talk about that. I, I don't envy conference organizers um, and I definitely don't envy first time conference organizers <laughs> there's a, a lot of work and a lot of work that they have to do so that 's pretty cool uh, so we 're sponsoring a couple of conferences and we are also sponsoring code Rabbi's Wisdom as a service tour, which we haven't mentioned Code Rabbi in too much detail lately, but um, we are uh, helping support his world tour and i 've seen him at a bunch of the the stops now i 've seen him at Benelux. I've seen I, he actually showed up at the Madison PHP user group uh the two nights before Midwest PHP and then I saw him again at Midwest PHP so uh, I've been I've been up making a couple of his stops on the tour which has been kind of cool. Um yeah, I don't think there's anything else that I had for uh the podcast stuff. Did you have anything else to add?
0: No, just uh just uh, uh I guess uh, I wouldn't say a promise but um I have every intention of trying to get but, uh, well, get on my part, get us back on track recording,
1: because uh, we need to. I've, yeah. I've
0: missed it. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been super busy, uh, but I have missed actually doing it. So uh.
1: Nice. I've missed it too, and um, so I'm, I'm glad we're back on track. And I, I think I'd like to make sure we record again next week so we can sort of get the ball rolling again. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also wanted to point out that uh, we're approaching our year anniversary, first year anniversary. Oh, cool because uh, tech's coming up, and I, we launched at tech last year, right, so um I think that's uh maybe two months away, so I think we've done a pretty good job so far we're we're averaging more than one episode a month, which is pretty cool, so i, I think we're we're ahead of where we thought maybe we would be, uh, yeah but so yeah i I think we're okay if we we lose a month a month and a half as long as we stay on track, yeah, we'll be okay yep um, I had a couple of things that have happened lately that we haven't really had a chance to talk about um PSR 7 um I've, I've switched to being coordinator of, of that after phil sturgeon left fig uh, he turned over his member uh, his membership voting roles or whatever to someone else uh, so i've been the i was bumped up from uh just one of the sponsors to be the coordinator, So I've been able to send two emails to the fig mailing list that were pretty exciting. Uh, the first one was to put PSR seven up for review. And then uh, about just about an hour ago. Now um, I sent out the email to put it up for vote. So that's pretty exciting for me. Um, I'm pretty excited about PSR seven. I have high hopes for it. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, I know that you're kind of on the fence Maybe? <laughs>
0: um, well, no, I mean, it depends on it, but I'm excited about the, the thing in itself. I, I'm mm-hmm. just skeptical about adoption, you know. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see it being adopted. And, I mean, there is a ticket in Symphony for Symphony 3 and mentioning overhaul in request response. Mm-hmm. And, of course, PSR7 is mentioned in that. Um, and I think that's a big, big deal. It, it, the, despite what people think... You know, there are a lot of people out there who don't like Symfony, but, you know, it is pretty much, in terms of the HTTP foundation, it's pretty, uh, I wouldn't say it's ubiquitous, but it's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, between yeah. Drupal, Laravel, Symfony, Silex, and any others out there, you know, um Easy, uh, what's it called? And a, bu- and a bunch of others, anyway. But uh, Yeah. So we'll just have to see.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, I think that Symphony 3, I, I I really don't know what the chances are that Symphony 3 is going to uh shift gears and go toward PSR 7 at this point. I would like to think they would be able to. I mean, PS uh, Symphony 3 is a long ways off, really. I mean, it's at least another six to eight months. I don't know how much work has actually been done on it. So it seems like it should be possible, but some of the changes uh, that they'd have to do for PSR7 might be difficult to get around. So I don't know. I, I'm hopeful that there there is a possibility there for symphony. Um, it seems like a lot of other people are pretty excited about it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Well, it, don't... it may not be, it may not be something that is big this year. You know, it might be something that, you know, next year or the year after uh, might be pretty cool. I, I heard at Midwest PHP, someone's already talking about creating uh, a C extension for, uh PSR seven support so that you can have uh like see uh like a extension level support for PSR seven. So yeah. a lot of people are interested in it. A lot of people are talking about doing things with it. So I think there's a good chance that it'll eventually get adopted um pretty widely, but I don't know. We'll have to see if it passes first, which uh I think seven votes have come in so far and the um and there's been one um, negative vote from uh Everett from Saberdav. Yep. So Uh, But I think I think he made it pretty clear from one of his blog posts a while back, not too long ago, maybe like a week ago, that he was intending to vote negative one on it. So I guess we kind of knew that was coming. Um, And he's actually been really helpful to try to bring up some some ideas, uh, but we weren't able to accommodate enough of it, I guess, for a plus one from him.
0: Yeah, no, no. I I read his blog posts, and Mm -hmm. he has a few points, but you know, it's like everything. I think uh, some of his points were what I'd considered to be around edge cases. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he was talking about, you know, streaming 600 megabyte yeah. files and stuff. And uh, to me, that's, yeah. a, that's quite an edge case these days. Um,
1: yeah. And I, I think, I think he has a unique perspective as well because of the work that he's doing with SaberDAV. Yeah. Like a, they they are dealing with edge cases and yeah. dealing with HTTP on a different layer than, or a different level yeah, than absolutely. most I mean, the, of us are. I mean, the DAV
0: stuff is, an edge case to me yeah Mm -hmm. i know it i know there are there is a market of it as they out there using it but it's definitely an edge case to me so
1: yeah so we'll see how that goes it looks like uh, two weeks from now we'll we'll have an idea of how this vote went down unless something happens that causes us to pull it back to review which there's been precedent for that in figs so it's possible that we might not see this for a little while yet but I don't know. In two weeks from now, we might have enough votes. We might be able to call it and say it's it's a thing. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, yeah, that would be good. The wisdom of the elephant. Uh, the wisdom of the elephant project came out, which was pretty cool. That was pretty exciting to be a part of. Um, I've been sticking them in uh, some of the prints that people have been buying. Uh, if I've been shipping stuff off to people, which we've actually been selling a couple of the prints for Twig and Stack and. Um, even the Sculpen poster, a couple of people have bought those. So, oh, cool. Um, I've had mostly had an opportunity to slip those into those things going out, um, but I've also uh, I also handed a couple out at Midwest PHP this last weekend. So that was that was kind of fun. Um, I don't. Did we get a talk about that on the podcast yet?
0: I don't know. I might have been. I can't remember if you could. If it might have been just before you kind of mentioned okay. it was going to happen, or, but didn't mention. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, so uh, the the project was a um, Cal Evans project. Uh, it was by, it looked like it was heavily sponsored by all of his Nomad things, Nomad PHP, Nomad JS. Um, and the idea was to collect some uh, interesting thoughts and helpful tidbits of information from people uh, around the community. And he asked people to send in uh, something that was tweetable and then send in about 500 words of, um, at most five hundred words of supporting content to go with it, um, and then they collected uh, they collected them all into um, a book. So it's a it's a tiny book. I think that was what someone someone mentioned that I I don't know if you've seen them, but you go.
0: I've only seen a uh, sort of close up pictures. I've not seen I don't have yeah, anything.
1: It it's it's very tiny. All oh, right, okay. so it's 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 like it's pretty pocket friendly, and it's got a you know it's got a cool cover and. Yeah, everything. There's room on the back for stickers. So, um, it's, it's got, I don't know how many authors there were. There's maybe 30 or so people in there. Um, and yeah, it's pretty cool. So I, I was pretty happy to be asked to be involved in the project. And I was pretty excited that, uh, my, uh, my topic was picked to be in, in the book. Um, and so this was the only run he was going to run, however many, um, he was going to order a bunch. And then all of the authors were allowed to order some. Uh, but the only caveat was that we had to give them away. We weren't allowed to sell them. So, um, so they're, they're, they're going to be pretty rare if they turn out to be something popular. Um, there's a finite resource. It's a finite resource. We will run out of these at some point. So, um, yeah. So yeah, if we, I was thinking it might be fun to give them away, uh, to maybe a listener or something, find a way to ship it off to them if someone was excited. So if anyone has any ideas for a cool, I don't know, a cool contest or something. Let us know, especially if you want one of these books and we can can see if we can make that happen.
0: Yeah, I imagine it would be something to do with the voicemail.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. Most things tend to laid back to voicemail. Yeah. Um, And the the last thing that I had for just random things that I was involved in um, was the Dev Book Club has kicked off again. Uh, Jeff Kruth is firing that back up. He actually has a new Sculpin-based website uh, for Dev Book Club, and um, yeah, we're doing Clean Code. Uh, have you read Clean Code?
0: I um, only referenced it. I have it within reach, and I occasionally reference it, but I haven't. I can't say I've read it back to back.
1: Nice. Well, I I have never read it, so I have it now, and so I've been reading it. It's a, it's been a pretty pretty fun to be uh, doing that again. Um, it's on Tuesday every other Tuesday night, and this last Tuesday night we we had to cancel it because. Uh, Jeff had some other things that he needed to take care of, kind of an emergency sort of thing. Um, and he actually asked if I would be able to, to try and start the the thing, but I had something else planned for that night too, at the last minute. So, so we're going to be a week behind, but the next chapter is going to be on comments. So if anyone wants to catch up, uh, catch up onto chapter four for comments. Um, I think that was all I had for the things in which I'm involved. Did you have any other topics that you wanted to talk about?
0: Um. Well, I mean, I, I did promise to uh, give updates on my goals for the year, and uh, I have fallen off the wagon completely in terms of uh, writing. I, I got through January really well. I mentioned this that I had, I had January planned out. Uh. And then writing after that I found found it really difficult. I started I maybe started about three or four posts but couldn't actually get to finishing them. So I'm completely off the wagon with that. Um I'm losing weight, so I've probably only lost about two pounds since the end of January. Uh, a bit of that's to do with uh had uh, some illness, uh just a heavy cold and fever. Uh that sort of slowed me down. Uh, and the other part's just laziness, really. Uh, having done that first 10 pounds, like, I just haven't done as much. But I'm going to change that. That's going to change. Uh, cause I'm feeling, uh, better after it put illness. And the other thing is the kids have been ill as well, which, like, it's as good as you being ill because you're up in the night and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like excuses and they are, but, uh, I do intend to, uh, get back on track with that. But the, the one saving grace is that the budgeting thing. I am so glad I did that. It's such an easy thing to do, uh, and it is working so well. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't recommend it enough if people don't do it. Try just setting a budget for things and see how you get on, because every, everything's going really well for us. I'm, I'm paying off that debt far quicker than I thought I could. I'm saving money. I'm, I've... Uh, about to book a holiday with a bunch of the money that I've saved already for the year, and uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, I I'm, I think I actually tweeted something about uh, you can tell how well things are going by the size or by how much gets added to my Amazon wish list every mm-hmm. every week. And instead of buying stuff, I've just added it to my wish list. Whereas previously, I would literally just buy things. And it's especially, nice. it's a bit silly because sometimes the things that you'd probably you leave it in your wish list for a couple of weeks, and then you think, actually, nah, I don't need mm-hmm. that. So that's kind of nice. But yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, that's going well. And then if I can get back on track with the fitness thing, I doubt I'm going to be- get back on track with the writing. It's just too hard. <laughs> but the fitness definitely going to get back on track with that. So
1: cool. Well, congratulations on staying on track with the budgeting thing. I know that's that's not easy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I say, it's. It makes some things so easy, you know. Uh mm-hmm. we're trying to sort out a holiday now and book holiday for the summer. And because we've done the budgeting, because we know how much we're saving every month, it's actually you know, this is the much how much we've got to spend. Mm-hmm. There's no great area of can we afford this, can we afford that? It's just like, this is how much we've got to spend. We'll spend it yeah. as we see fit. And I've definitely not had that well, I mean I have to a certain extent, but you know, it's all mm-hmm. never been that clear. So it makes some things much easier. You know, it's for the it's the work up front, isn't it? You're doing work up front by keeping track of things and making decisions about how much you want to spend on things. But you know, it does make some things in in life easier. And and I mean, to be honest, Rebecca and I never really uh, argue about money that much, but um, they do say it's like one of the biggest reasons for arguments in married couples and things is money and and things like that. So the fact that we have it all in front of us all the time in this, on, this, on this spreadsheet. So there's no argument about money. You know, yeah. it's that's kind of cool.
1: Cool. That's awesome.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, we've we've had uh it seems like someone in our family has been sick pretty much non-stop for the last month as well. I spent like a week not feeling well. Uh, Beck has been through it twice now. She's on this the second round. Um so yeah, it's it definitely is harder to stick to some of your goals when you aren't feeling well so yeah. both, both of us have been having uh we, we we've not made any progress on the the weight loss side of things with the whole thin the herd thing um i i, I haven't at this point i think i have no hope of reaching the goal that i set uh, I, I don't think it would be healthy to just because we're so far into it um but yeah we're i mean we're both still wanting to try it's just so easy when you're not feeling well or when you're Traveling to just fall back into bad habits and eat something quick that you get on the road rather than go through the extra time and effort to prepare things in advance. So yeah, so yeah, we're we're hoping that um, after this weekend, we're we're actually heading to Chicago tonight, late tonight. Um, I decided to go to mid camp in Chicago. Uh, it's put on by uh, some people that I know from Palantir.net. Um, so I, it's a I think it's a Drupal camp of some sort. It's mostly Drupal oriented. And they're calling it Mad Camp this year because they're doing uh, Alice in Wonderland theme. So right, uh, cool. I'm going to get to be there just on Friday. Um, and I'm going to get to meet a couple of the people. So that's going to be awesome. So we're, we're going to go down tonight. So tonight's going to be gone. We're going to be gone all, all pretty much all weekend. Uh, so we'll we'll be back next weekend. We're both talking about next week's going to be different, which happens more often than not. We we agree that next week we're going to be different. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Yeah, there's always something though, isn't it? I mean, you've just mentioned that. Yep. So I'm thinking the next uh, few weeks, I've got um, it's our wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks, and um, mm-hmm. so for my for my birthday last year, which is, which is nearly uh, nearly ten months ago now, uh, my boss got me a, a an experience day thing. Uh, so it's a wine tasting, a vineyard tour, wine tasting, a lunch for two. So Rebecca and I are going go to go try and do that for our anniversary and stay in a bed and breakfast somewhere, uh, you know, just to celebrate our anniversary. Mm -hmm. So that, that of course, will uh, put a severe dent in any kind of uh, dieting for the week, if I'm going to be wine tasting, drinking all day, and then no doubt eating lavishly. And then uh, the week after that is Rowan's birthday, so uh, no doubt there'll be party food type things going on or some sort of celebrations going on for that and yet there's there's always something isn't there uh, it's really mm. hard to get around but you can do it. Yeah. it it's just a case of you know sticking to your guns it's just these yeah. things just make it that that little bit harder don't they but yeah
1: we did try something in february that uh actually worked out really well uh we agreed not to go out to eat at all and I would say we went out to eat maybe three times. Like we went back on that three times. Hmm. We we had one known exception that we were going to make uh around Valentine's Day. Um and then we ended up not not going to that particular place. But I think we made it at least until like the fifteenth of February before we decided to go out. Yeah. We, we decided we weren't gonna go to the place we were going to, so we went somewhere else instead. Um so yeah, that was a that was a it was really good. Um yeah. it worked both on the, the health front and on the uh budgeting front. Because, yeah. yeah, same for yeah, us. I
0: mean yep. we because we set a limit on the amount of eating out with the money, mm-hmm. we've actually started eating out less. Or at least started thinking yep. about it more, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's not not doing it for the sake of it, trying to make it, you know, so it's gonna be a nice time or things yeah. like that. Yeah. We didn't do anything yep. for val- Valentine's Day uh, this year. <laughs> it's a bit sometimes it gets a really commercial in I don't know what it's like over there but I remember going to uh, a few years back, going to uh, what, what's considered to be a, a good, nice restaurant in the area, and they were definitely trying to fit two sittings in for val- on Valentine's Day evening, and we actually felt rushed, you know, for our meal, and it was a bit, you don't yeah. expect that. And it just felt like they were it was cattle, you know, mm-hmm. driving, driving them through the restaurant rather than uh, serving you dinner. But, yeah. So, yeah. So, we, so- we
1: did... We did something special for Valentine's and we we went to a movie. Um but it's kind of in that part of the the year where the movies aren't exactly uh they aren't, they aren't like the big blockbusters that you're super excited about. At least not the ones that I'm super excited about. <laughs> um so we we looked at it and we weren't really sure which ones to go to. Um and we were up at uh Beck's mom and dad's place and they were going to watch Luke for the night so we could go out to a movie. Um so we, we did two things. We we went to a movie and then the next day we bought a movie um those were kind of our splurge things for the night or for the weekend and uh we picked kingsman uh do you know anything about kingsman
0: i've only seen the trailers i haven't actually seen it but uh, it looked quite good to me
1: it looked amazing it looked really fun it looked really exciting and um of all the things i wanted my my preference probably would have been jupiter ascending and that's you know sci-fi and weird and you know wachowskis <laughs> yeah. it would have been completely ridiculous and all of the reviews i've sort of seen around it tell me it would have been ridiculous so i didn't push too hard to go to that one because i didn't want her, her to go and hate it um she usually likes the stuff i like anyway but you never know uh so she wanted to go to Pink kingsman she looked at all the trailers She wanted to go to kingsman i'd seen the trailer i'm like yeah that looks pretty good we loved it we loved the first half of it maybe the first two thirds of it yeah and then it's like they switched directors like there was like one scene that was so bloody and gory and off-putting that it i could we we couldn't believe it was happening and (laughs) it was just so bizarre and then the rest of the movie was sort of like it just ramped up from there just kept escalating to more absurdity and um it was really bizarre, and I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older or what it is, but it I didn't understand what had just happened. <laughs> and uh, Afterwards, I heard someone in the, the lobby mention something about it being the same director as Kick-Ass. Did you watch that movie? I've seen Kick-Ass, yeah. Yeah. That sort of made sense to me at that point, because I, I remember thinking that movie sort of had a certain feel about it, like the over-the-top yeah. violence and whatnot um this just seemed like it was like the next level, but that made sense to me. then it's like, okay, well, that makes sense, but I don't know who was in charge of the first half of that movie because it was really good. We really liked it, and um I don't know, it was really weird. we both had the same experience. uh we both said that that we couldn't remember seeing Samuel L Jackson playing a good guy ever, like we couldn't remember any time, uh, which brings us to the movie we watched the next night we um We've been watching Agents of Shield. Yep. Have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm um, sorry.
0: I haven't seen the TV series. I just know
1: of it. Okay. So so we we started watching the TV series, and we've been really enjoying it. And I'd heard that uh, part of the, the show played into uh, the newest Captain America movie and the newest Thor. And we'd seen the newest Thor, uh, and I knew there were some big like spoilers and things that were coming up uh, that were going to happen in the Captain America movie that I wanted to watch the movie before it was given away on the series. Um, so I made a special point to go get it. And as soon as we put it in, we're like, Oh yeah, Samuel Jackson does play a good guy. <laughs> so we were watching another movie the next night with the same, same guy playing a good guy who we could never like, we're, we never see him as a good guy. Um, we're like, Oh yeah, actually, he's been a good guy in a lot of these movies we've watched. Um, and the plot was the same. The movie, like, it could have been the same movie. It was so bizarre. <laughs> it was executed completely differently, but the, the plot and the overall Story. It was just really. uh We were both just shocked that we had seen two movies that were almost identical two nights apart, and like they even had the same char- uh, same same actor in them. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we really enjoyed the new Captain America movie. Uh, that That's, was a lot of fun. The, is it
0: the Winter Soldier? Winter Soldier. Yep, the Winter yeah, Soldier.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, it, I had this on my personal list of things to talk about that I thought was no longer relevant, but since we brought up Valentine's, I was like, you know what? Yeah, that, that, yeah,
0: no. to be honest, I, I've had a bit of a movie renaissance recently. Um, mm. I was, I was movie crazy when I was younger. Um, you know, when, like when DVD came to market, I was like one of the first people out, of my friends it was me and my best friend, rich. We got DVD players and like literally no one else had them. And and we got surround sound systems, and no one else had them. You know, it was like, yeah. I mean, cause especially because we were young kids, we so we were uh, teenagers, you know. So mm-hmm. we didn't have loads of money either. Uh, and I started record, uh, collecting DVDs, and and then for some at some point, I just went off the boil. Um, I still watched the occasional movie, but I mean, I imagine family made a big difference. Uh, but yeah, I just. I still enjoyed movies, but I just didn't seem to get a chance to. I, I spent more time watching TV series, you know, mm-hmm. where you can do one or two episodes in a night. You can do one episode. You can do four episodes if you want, and you know, um, yeah. But I've I've started uh, started watching again. What I have what I've ended up doing is actually watching them in parts. I uh, watch them, you know, maybe an hour. Especially, I mean, I've watched uh, the, the last Hobbit movie recently and you know that's 3 3 hours or whatever so i was i'm yeah. not not going to get a chance to sit down and watch that you know all in one go uh mm-hmm. but yeah so i no i i actually enjoy a bit of movie talk, so uh, anytime you want to bring up movies and uh, let me know what you've seen because uh, <laughs> i'm all good sure in fact uh we're trying to sort of uh start to do a regular guys night with me and, me and my buddies cuz uh, we don't see each other often we pretty much all of us have got families now and you know, getting together is quite difficult. Uh, we got together for a few beers and a curry uh, three four weeks ago. And uh, I think the guys are trying to organise something now. Have you seen uh, Machete, the, the film? <laughs> no. Uh, so, no. No. <laughs> So the-
1: I, honestly, when I, when I saw the trailer for that, I, I assumed it was a joke. It is a
0: joke. That's the, that's the good thing about it. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't like the go- gore and the blood and stuff in uh, Kingsman, then you probably won't like machete. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we're having a machete night. Uh, so that's just going to go in a, in a week or two. We're just going to go around to uh, Rich, the same, my best friend at uh, his house mm. and uh, people take beers. We'll know they'll get the pizza takeaway and that. Uh, Watch, yeah. uh, watch the Machete films. I was actually wondering if I could get some uh, costumes before uh, <laughs> I just turn up on the night in costume. We'll see. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I, so I yeah. think that there's there's a difference between going to watch something like Machete, where you know what to expect. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, versus seeing a movie and all of a sudden in the middle, it turns into Machete. And you weren't really expecting it. You didn't see it coming. And yeah. I, that That's, that's the only, I mean, you know, I, I like going to watch, I, I like watching some of those movies sometimes. Um, and, but I have to be in the right mood and I have to expect it. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know, if, I don't, see, I don't know if I would ever try to have back watch Machete. Like I would, I would just know upfront that that's probably not something yeah, that you would I, do.
0: I, Rebecca wouldn't watch it, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool. But that sounds awesome that you guys are, are planning. Uh, like movie get-togethers, that's pretty awesome. Yeah,
0: trying to do a regular
1: guys night is what we're trying to do.
0: So, cool.
1: Um, so I had a couple of other sections here. Uh, I wanted to talk about some Sculpen sites that have gone up that were kind of cool. Go for it. Um, uh, Adam Brett is uh Six Sad Day on Twitter. Uh, this is the person who actually wrote the blog post that everyone keeps looking at to figure out how to do sculpting themes. Uh, So I actually reached out to him and um, just said, hey, I think it's awesome you're doing that. And he said, if you like that, check out these other things. Uh, He has MD-Ipsum, which is a Sculpin site that basically shows how all of the markdown is rendered, which is kind of cool. So it's just this one of those Ipsum sites that just has a bunch of stuff. So he has MD-Ipsum, and he also has something called Project Hub. Have you heard of Project Hubs? um it's I'm sorry i'm uh, shaking my head like uh like the yeah listeners i'm like hear, i'm like to say no right um, <laughs> <laughs> um it's been a while it's though, sort of, you know? yeah 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 uh, so uh the project hub sort of seems like just like a, a linear timeline of events okay. um so it's a way to say this is where the project's at and then all along the way it has little like little markers to say what what has happened in the past. Uh, so it's just a really simple way to organize something. So um, I'll, I'll link some of these in the show notes, um, but it was, uh, it's a uh, github.com slash Adam slash Sculpin dash project hub. And he actually has an example of one that uh, they did for some food bank that you could actually see that this was when they talked about it. And then it, um, yeah, you know, this was the project kickoff meeting, and then it has a clickable link to the notes. And this is when the mockups were done, and then a link to the mockups. So you can just get a, a linear history of where the project has been and where it's going and where it's at. So, uh, it was kind of cool. So, uh, someone doing something interesting with Sculpin, which I have no idea that this, these projects were out there. So it's kind of cool that this mm. stuff is happening. Um, someone else mentioned that ux underscore app, uh, ux dash app dot com. Is a Sculpin site, so that was kind of cool. It's another cool site, and uh, Lone Star PHP is a Sculpin site, um, and they actually did some cool stuff to integrate with. I don't think they integrated directly with OpenCFP, but they integrated with some intermediary database that they set up to take the speaker information and the talk information, um, and scu- uh, they use Sculpin to actually pull the data in from. Uh, this intermediate database is using some REST API to build their site. So as they make the changes, uh, Sculpin, the Sculpen site reflects those changes. So I thought that was kind of cool to actually see someone using Sculpin to get data, like actual data from an outside source, which I haven't seen too many people actually doing that. So hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you mentioned that the, the whole Sculpin organization thing, um, that's new since our last podcast as well. Uh, I queued up four articles to publish on Sculpin's new blog, and one of them was talking about the organization. So I thought that was kind of fun. Um, the Milestone post was interesting, talking about the changes for Sculpen 3. Um, but, of course, the thing that everyone jumped on was PHP 7 <laughs> as the minimum ver- version which i didn't you know i thought the rest of it was exciting but but the thing that i threw it at the last minute was the only thing people picked up on and and retweeted and asked me about on the blog post i'm like all right what what are your thoughts on php 7 as a minimum version for anything um, that would launch at the end of this year
0: well when's php 7 due i, I, I
1: don't know it's supposed it's supposed to be due um, at the end of i think it's supposed to be due q4 of this year all
0: right well now, uh, Sculpin's a bit of an outlier here for me mm-hmm. because it's a command line tool that you run, usually running locally on a dev machine. Uh, and even not, you're going to be using some sort of custom system of your own mm-hmm. to be building your Sculpin sites. So, personally, I imagine PHP 7 is a lot more accessible to Sculpin users than to the majority of people building Mm. PHP websites and such.
1: Yep. It's, it's not bound at all to what version of PHP you have running on the server. Yeah. So I I think that was the biggest thing that made me feel like it would be okay. Yeah.
0: To to make that requirement. There are projects like PHPM, PHP brew that are making it easier to run multiple versions of PHP at once. And I know I've been using PHPM for a couple of years now and it's great. And you know, I get caught out every now and then when I forget which version I'm currently running. If I'm using the mm-hmm. global flags or something, but it's nothing. Yeah. It's not difficult. Um, so yeah, it'd be a bold move. Uh, what is there any particular? Is there anything in PHP seven that you're targeting, or is it just a sort of a whimsical? Uh, it's
1: it's probably more whimsical than anything. And that was one of the things that that Larry Larry Garfield was asking me on both on comments and in person. It's like, well, is there anything in PHP 7 that you need? And it got me thinking that, you know, I don't even know what's really going to be in PHP 7. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, the Feature Freeze is coming up in a week or two. So. I, have,
1: I think Feature Freeze happened on the 15th, so that was four days oh, ago. okay. But at the time, I didn't know. It was, it was yeah. like a couple of weeks out. Um, But yeah, uh, so I've been paying attention to it more. That's why I know the Feature Freeze was four days ago, because I made this last-minute addition to this blog post, and now I have to know what's in PHP 7. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'd, I've i been held back by PHP 5.3 for so long. Like, there's a lot of things that I would love to have done uh, that at least required PHP 5.4. And when I started looking at the, the end-of-support dates for everything, it seemed kind of st- like... I don't expect the minimum version of PHP for Sculpin to change anytime in the next two years, two or three years, probably, just because the release cycle is slow enough that you get people. If I say people are going to be on PHP 7, they're going to be on, they're going to probably be okay to stay there for a while. Um, and I'm not going to want it then up at the again to like PHP 7.1 or PHP hmm. 7.2 a year later. Um, at least that's how I imagine it will work. Um, so... I didn't want to, to be in a place where I would pick, like, PHP 5.5 5 because I want the, the, the colon colon class. Like, I really want to start coding with that. Like, every day I want to be able to, to rely on that. Um, or, you know, if there's anything in PHP 5.6. And as I started looking, I just realized, why don't I just do PHP 7? If that's going to be the new stable thing when Sculpin 3 launches, I might as well use that and set people up for a longer period of time. Um, and, I, you know, there isn't anything in there that I need right now. Um but p- other people write code and other people are going to start writing code that requires PHP 7 and that code isn't going to be able to be used by Sculpin directly if I have a, a lower target version. Um You know, like all the, the return type hinting and all of these other things that are kind of neat are just kind of neat now but these might be like best practices six months from now or a year from now when people are actively writing PHP 7 code and those things won't be usable technically by Sculpin if I'm, if I don't support PHP 7. So there isn't anything in there that I need right now that I, I think that I absolutely have to have, but there's a lot of really cool things in there that I think people will be wanting to code with in the next year. So this way I don't have to, it's, I bought myself maybe a year or two of time where I don't have to say, gee, I wish I could use your awesome library, but you're using something that I can't support. Um, which, you know, I wanted to use Syconia's, uh, the Syconia PHP markdown parser um which i couldn't do because it was php 5.4 i just could never support that by sculping directly i don't want that to be the case that you know some new awesome markdown parser or um the the c tw- twig extension that makes everything three times faster is only usable if you're using php 7 or higher or something like that i don't want to be limited by that so I don't know. We'll see how it all shakes out. But I, I just thought it was interesting that that was the thing that people jumped on was mm. uh, PHP seven. No one, no one really commented on anything else. So, um, other projects that were found. I think we both found just uh, log. That's uh, Matt Stoffer and Adam Within.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, which I think they've probably done a, a big release by now. When, when we first started talking about this, uh, it sounded like it was it was imminent. Now it's probably old news, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I haven't. I actually haven't seen people talking about it, so maybe they didn't launch it too much. But uh, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. And you, you mentioned you had watched the Rapid Application Prototype. Yeah, I'd, part, I'd, had seen I'd part started
0: of it? watching it. I hadn't watched it all. Um, I'd had it on. And I I didn't watch it with my whole attention. I kind of had it on my second monitor or something. Mm. It's kind of like, it was weird. It was like working with somebody else <laughs> who who actually just talked about everything he was doing. Nice. <laughs> so Matt's got quite a smooth voice though. So it's quite mm. kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, I, he's, um, I think he put the first hour and a half on YouTube um, of him developing the app literally from scratch. He talks about, and it's, a it, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of nice in a way because it, it's totally unedited. So mm-hmm. he does a couple of silly things, uh, where he's, you know, not quite paying attention or not thinking straight, uh, the kind of things we all do, uh, right. you know, but he's, uh, putting it out, putting himself out there and, uh, showing mm-hmm. it on uh, an hour and a half worth of video. Uh, so if anyone doesn't know, like it was, um, is a, a little idea for him to run a blog, wasn't it? And, uh, basically, mm-hmm. um, it's, it takes a gist and take, makes it into a nice looking page doesn't it? Uh, like uh, makes it look like a blog post and mm-hmm. then he's moving towards trying to make it so that you can uh, add a bunch of uh, gist and it actually you know forms an index of your blog post and stuff like that so the idea being that you write your blog post in markdown instead of saving it in uh, like your directory in sculpting like you would and then generating your site manually he's just Banging it in just uh, in a GitHub's gist, and then diving it over to be parsed and rendered by uh, gistlog.co. So,
1: yeah, one of the, the first things that I noticed for usability was that I I got into the habit of just going to my gist and then like highlighting the let's see it would be the uh, dot. CO or whatever. I basically I was just like modifying the URL in place. And we keep coming back with 404 until I like copied and pasted the URL in again. Um, And it's because uh just as (laughs) HTTPS, So whenever I would modify the URL, like it would come up with not found. So um that was one of my contributions. Uh not that it was a major contribution. I think they were going to do it anyway, but I pushed that ahead and um it's now uh it now has its own SSL certificate. So switching from a gist to a gist log is really simple as making a couple of uh deletes in your um mm. in the URL window and it just works automatically. It's pretty cool. I've been I've been using it to share um ideas. I'm not using it to actually publish real things, but if I have like a blog post that I wanna wanna show up, it looks prettier and is more easy to consume, I think, than just a raw gist. So yeah. I've been using it for those purposes. It's been pretty nice.
0: Yeah, well I mean we share uh, blog posts by gists anyway don't we so mm-hmm. yeah. it's a little bit nicer to read so
1: yep yep and actually um i i created a gist log for my show notes so that in yep. the show notes is going to be a gist log to my show notes that's kind of that cool. is in gist log so uh, if anyone wants to see what these look like it's pretty cool so uh, yeah so that was there um there's also uh ian Lipman uh, published something called Business Days. And it was interesting. I'd actually paid attention to his tweet like a night or two before where he, I don't, re- I don't remember exactly what he said. It was something along the lines of he was enjoying uh, moving from front end to just doing pure API design or just in the fact that he was enjoying API design. And I, I'd actually retweeted it or started um, as being an interesting comment. It's cool when people discover that they like to, to work on building the APIs. I think you actually have a, a blog post about that like just building the API in your test suites and not actually writing any code but exploring the API.
0: Well yeah, one of my blog posts uh was about using interfaces to write the API and that's literally all I I wrote. And, yeah. and this was just um so me and uh, Daniel and uh, Daniel we got together through the PHP mentoring thing, although I keep saying that it's not really a mentoring thing anymore. It's, <laughs> we're just partners and we just, uh, basically we pair program. We, 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 we try and have one meetup every week, half an hour, a uh, call. And we usually sort of do, we either pair program for half an hour or we just have a chat about how things are going, our jobs and things. Mm-hmm. And when we pair program, we work on, uh, a testable library. Now it was going to be, uh, a, a future version of Mockery, but we've actually, moved off into its own repository now just so we can start utilising uh, pull requests and things a bit more uh, mm-hmm. freely rather than polluting, uh, you know, with, with our hypothetical stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so when we were working on the interface for it, we actually, uh, sorry, the API, we actually, we literally only wrote interfaces. And it made it really interesting, particularly for the the kind of library mockery is because you're building up... um it's a you're building. We're building a, a domain specific language, effectively, and using interfaces for that is what I wrote about in the blog post. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, my blog post is actually just sort of almost commentary on how I found it, how I found uh trying it out based on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a paper by uh, Nat Price and Steve Freeman, I think, uh, the guys who wrote uh, "Growing Object-Oriented Software: Guided by Test." Mm-hmm. Uh, so they wrote a paper about this for when they actually wrote, or when they were working on JMOC. Uh So it's very similar to what I was doing uh, Yeah, it's uh, interesting. But well, I assume from what you just said, he was talking about a HTTP API. Is that what he... No, no. So um, just the API of a library. Yeah,
1: just yep, designing APIs of libraries. Because, you know, the, the next day or two, uh, he started asking about... Um, I I don't remember the, the details. I think he wanted to know... Uh, Given today, given a specific date, how would you calculate the number? Uh, how would you calculate the date of uh, x number of business days out? Um, so there were a, a couple of libraries that he was looking at. I think there's something called Peridot or Peridot. Um, I think it was a a, a league library that uh, sort of does something some like does date related like peri- uh things that happen periodically uh, sort of stuff. Uh but he he was um working through this API like kind of in the public on Twitter, like this is what I want to do and then like he would come back five minutes later with Okay, well I changed it like this and it turned out to be really cool. So he actually has a library on this now and I kinda thought the the API looked pretty nice. And I know that I enjoy coming with with APIs that when you look at them they make sense. And it's just like yeah. the way that he had done it was actually pretty slick. I thought it was pretty good. So um I wanted to share that.
0: Yeah. Well, so that blog post I wrote, what was really nice was once we'd. So, as we were writing these interfaces, um, we were, you know, dot blocking them Mm -hmm. explicitly as we went. And literally, as we were going, we were. I mean, I don't use it very often, but. um, Well, actually, I used two. I used PHP Storm, or I used um, something called Eclim Eclim D, which is. Mm -hmm. um, which is essentially Eclipse, headless Eclipse uh, with a Vim plugin. So Vim talks back to Eclipse for code completion of things. Well, cool. So we were using the, so all we were doing was we had a, a dummy function with a doc block to say we were returning this interface, mm-hmm. which was one of the sort of root interfaces. And then you could, using PHP Storm or, or Eclipse, we could, uh, navigate through the the domain specific language so there wasn't any actual implementation here mm-hmm. but just because the IDE thought what we were getting back was an instance of this interface right. we could test out the whole API as if you were writing and mm-hmm. using it you know that was kind of cool
1: cool yeah but, um so I, I just went to uh code rabbis uh what was it from chicago to london uh talk on um basically the differences between the two schools of thought on how to do tdd related things or do testing related things and um uh, i I think it was the london style that was all coding to interfaces was that is that would that be accurate or did i get that backwards
0: um kind of
1: one of them one of them really likes the interfaces and one of them likes to um, use test doubles more frequently than the others is what I took away from it. <laughs> whereas whereas one, class, one 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 school uh, uses more uh concrete implementations and does mocking yeah, or so, test doubles where it needs
0: to. Well be. I whether the, the interfaces is, is hit and miss for me. Um you're just as likely to use interfaces with the the uh, Detroit school as the uh, mm-hmm. or Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, generally it's a weird one. I mean, the, the the distinction for me is so vague. Anyway, people talk about it like the London school only test with mocks, and they don't. Mm-hmm. They only test in full isolation. They don't ever write integration tests, and they don't write ever write end to end tests. And that's absolute mm-hmm. tosh. Like they yeah. You know the book on that kind of software, that kind of testing. The first thing you do is they, they they build what they call a walking skeleton, and that is literally setting one massive integration test. It's an end-to-end test. Too. They've got a a jabber server, or, you know, XMPP server running, and you know, you know so the, the distinctions really kind of moot in terms yeah. of. This place does mocking. This place doesn't. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh, he uh, it, it, he said that also that it wasn't as cut and dry. Yeah. So the things that he was listing were very much like in general people generally consider. Uh, and and I don't have the picture in my head <laughs> to, to remember which side he had which. But one of them sounded very very much more in line with what you're talking about. Where if you create everything with interfaces, you can test things without. You can test you the the soft the system under test without having actual concrete yeah. implementations of things so, yeah. more more often
0: the so london so. school they talk about need driven design so mm-hmm. the system under test as you are, as you are as you are testing and developing the system under test you discover needs you discover it has a need for this and uh, mm-hmm. a need naturally converts to an interface so mm-hmm. you need something to fulfill this role for you Right And a role is an interface, and then a okay. concretion comes later okay with
1: anyways that, that's that's kind of what i what I was hearing when you were describing that was I was trying to think about it in terms of
0: yeah, well, I mean it's by the same guys who started it yeah. so uh, definitely related, yeah. but could cool. be done either way really okay
1: um actually, wow, uh, so he he mentioned your uh London talk your your Symphony Live London talk mm. and um you were mentioning in the talk that you were thinking about changing the APIs for Mockery. That yeah. you had some ideas for that. Did you end up doing that? He I he wasn't sure if you had or not. So um
0: basically uh, the reason I have one well, one reason I had so this is what I'd work on with Daniel. Um it's kind of investigating if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And um, I'm still not hundred percent sure of the idea myself. Um but so one of the reasons we kind of, Mockery still doesn't have a 1.0, but it's mm. used by lots of people. It's one of the most popular packages on packages. Um, so to change the API for 1.0 now seems silly. So I kind of decided, well, this is really going to be, if I make any sweeping changes to the API, it'll be 2.0. I don't, the API is not perfect, but it is a working piece of software right now. So, 1.0 shouldn't have these changes. So, then I kind of backbenched the idea of thought, there's no rush for me to make these changes. And so, me and Daniel have been working on it and we've been investigating and experimenting. And, like I say, it got to, me and Daniel have had, because I've been busy, he's been busy, he's just bought a house. Um, So, we've missed our meeting, our pair programming sessions a few times. So, we decided to move that work instead of being a branching mockery. We decided to export, you know, vendor out into our own project Uh, as a private GitHub repo so we can actually work independently and, you know, uh, use GitHub's social features in terms of pull requests and comments and code reviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, so at the minute we're not going to be changing the mockery API. Uh, Okay. But one of the things we did do that I mentioned was the spy thing. So that made it into mockery after, shortly after. So you can do spies with mockery now. Cool
1: nice um uh, i actually realized that in my show notes here i had the exact quote from ian <laughs> oh yeah so so i'm just going to read that real quick and then we can move on yeah i'm uh, sure. looking forward to doing api work again soon designing proper data representations is much easier than proper ui wrangling in my experience so anyway so that that was the thing that i had had caught on to and then a couple of days later he's creating mm. these data representations for you know skipping business days so it was pretty cool so uh i have the link to the the actual project in github so or in the in the show notes cool um and one last project uh was Trello by jeff madsen um and it's it looks like an interesting way to stay up to date, keep your clients up to date with changes from trello uh, so you don't necessarily have to grant them full access to your trello boards Um, I I haven't actually tried it out yet, but it sounds like it could be interesting. It's something that, uh, when I was using Trello for one of my clients, I never gave them access to Trello and I wasn't sure I wanted to because I didn't want to give them, I didn't want to confuse them and I didn't want to risk the chance that they would mess something up and I didn't feel like they needed to, Mm -hmm. but it would have been nice to be able to give them some, some sort of information that we were gathering and acting on in Trello. So something like this could be kind of cool, I think. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I've been good. in touch with Jeff Matson on Twitter quite a bit. And I, I don't know if he's a listener necessarily, uh, but it's code by Jeff on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's probably it for now. Awesome. As far as stuff, um, work stuff. Did you have any work stuff you want to talk about or I've been doing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's a load
0: of stuff I could talk about. Just, just something I've done today is, um, we got a notification. We don't have responsive or a mobile version of our website at all. We have mobile apps for both Android and iOS. So, you know, in a way, we've got a little bit of that covered. And in fact, by having the apps has actually slowed our, uh, you know, move to do anything to make a decent web into a responsive or mobile version of the website. Uh, But we got an email from Google Webmaster Tools the other day. Um, Have you noticed uh, when you're searching for things on your mobile now that your uh, results have a little tag that says mobile-friendly?
1: I think I maybe have, and I just didn't really register.
0: So, I mean, that's been going for a while now, but, I mean, this email insinuates that not only will we not have the mobile-friendly tag on, but we will start to move down the rankings... Hmm. For searches, for searches on mobile devices, which of course is bad. Um, yeah. So I started looking at that today, because um, I don't know a lot about it. I under no no. no I take that back. Right. I understand the media queries and stuff. I understand the technical side of it, but I don't actually know much about the whole process. You know. So when we used to, when people used to design for the desktop, right? Hmm. The design could happen by you know with a graphics designer with Photoshop and then it would go to a, a HTML, CSS, a front guy, front end guy who could slice and dice that and turn it into you know responsible markup with good CSS and things like that. But it's kind of like I'm not sure how that works now You know, in terms of because obviously the designer has to design maybe two or three versions of the same page and so you almost have to go through the user experience side of things three times, you know. This is the experience on desktop and this is the experience on mobile. It's, you kind of have to have the same widgets or the same subset of widgets because it's, you know, responsive based on the styles. But it is a different experience. So, you know, I've I'm not, I'm not seen much coverage on that in terms of Learning about that kind of thing, or I said, I don't. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe there isn't much to to learn about. But do you see what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, say your, navi- your navigation is completely different on desktop to mobile, but it's essentially going to be the same markup or with responsive web design anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. So I, I need to learn.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a complicated thing. I wouldn't say that I'm super good at it. I've I've done a lot of websites at this point um like actual like front-end stuff because try as though i might i still end up being the person doing that (laughs) for a lot of my Mm. my things whether it be the sculpting site or that podcast site or my personal websites um so yeah it's um it's definitely not an easy thing to do and i think that the the thing that i find easiest when i'm working with someone is to not give them the impression that they're going to get a pixel perfect design anymore. Yeah. If you aren't going to hand me a Photoshop file and it's going to be exact, I will take that and figure out how that translates to these other states. These I guess they have infinite what they want amount to look of like. devices. Yeah. What's that? So how it translates to the
0: infinite amount of devices that are available?
1: Yeah. 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 Um, basically, you need to look at it and say, okay, well, with these elements, we need to be able to make them movable we need to be able to make them flexible and fluid and um yeah it's it can be really easy if you're working with someone who understands that up front um it's a lot harder if someone doesn't understand that and they want to be very strict about what it is that they want it to look like at, at these different states so um yeah i mean i know there's a lot of people doing a lot of different work on that and it still drives me crazy when people redirect me to a mobile website yeah. Like I if I like click like on a link and then it redirects to m dot whatever, and it's like, well, you aren't even on the right page. You yeah. just redirected me to your mobile homepage. Now it's pointless. So yeah. it does make sense, but some, you sometimes it does come at the expense of being able to have the mobile experience look exactly like you want it to on mobile.
0: Yeah. So speaking further on that, um, so within the, the the programming side of things, we have at, at least know of. Books on the subject of working with legacy code. And um, mm-hmm. I would love to know if people have any resources on working with legacy CSS uh, because I have, you know, our, our site's six to, you know, at least six years old, going on seven years old now. And there is, you know, the CSS is, some of it, the original stuff is still there, you know, and it, that stuff has moved significantly, you know, in terms of the people have like uh ways of working like Smacks and O oh, CSS and then there's tooling like LESS and SAS, however you pronounce that. And yeah, i I I those technologies, oh yeah, they look fantastic, you know, uh and all those ways of working, but how do I how the hell do I apply that to you know, thousands of lines of markup and thousands of lines of existing CSS, some of which overrides the other. Is some of it's not used, some of it's used more than it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I imagine most of it's going to come down to tooling. Uh, and imagine, uh, I imagine the first thing someone said is, "You need a style guide." You know, like you ever seen a site where sites have a page that has every single widget yep. on on one page. Mm-hmm. I imagine, that—that's a great starting point. Uh, yeah, which is something I should probably consider doing. At least you've got a visual. Then you could eyeball and say, "Okay, so if I delete this, these ten lines of CSS that I don't think are relevant," mm-hmm. and you eyeball that page, and everything looks okay. Yeah, it's, some, it's something, but yeah.
1: I think that style guide that you're talking about is important, especially if you're talking about the um, the responsive web design. Um, is just have an idea of what these things are supposed to look like, like a general idea of what kind mm. of guidelines you have for what a header looks like and for what this widget looks like. And then ha- if, if it makes sense, you know, say, okay, well, if this widget is uh, in constrained proportions, then it extends in this certain way or you can cut out these certain pieces of it. Because um, as long as you have guidelines like that, it becomes a lot easier to put the page however you want it and it also makes those widgets more reusable because you can use them in different places where you know before you might only be able to use it in one spot and if you used it anywhere else it wouldn't look right uh, now it has maybe a little more flexibility that you can move it around and put it in places that it wasn't originally intended and it looks right because it it fits the the criteria of why you of what it should look like when you put it in you know a space that's too narrow or something yeah but yeah, the the big CSS ball of mess. Um I don't envy that at all. <laughs> that's uh that's not a fun one to be be involved in.
0: Yeah. It's uh just a, a I mean it's as it's, it's much my own fault as anyone. You know, I mean I I, I shy away from it because I am most comfortable on the back end as you as you know. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. my previous job I spent 5 months just working on HTTP API and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, the few times I had, to, uh, um, so Harry Roberts is quite a big in the CSS world, and uh, I think he came up with this thing called, uh, I can't remember what he called it, but it was, it was like an extra CSS file that just had the hacks in, mm-hmm. and you in that file you could put in hacks, and eventually they were had to be, you know, it's like accruing debt in one place, and eventually the idea was at some point you moved it back. Into the actual mm-hmm. CSS, the structured and the correct CSS. And I remember because he w- he was working there, and I remember uh, you know if I did any front end work, <laughs> that's where I put my CSS. <laughs> my CSS went in that file so that he could make it good at some point in the future. Yeah, and that's nice. that's the kind of, that's all of my CSS is
1: like that. That hacks file, you know. Uh, yeah, so. I've been using Sass more lately, and. I, I, re- I really enjoy it, but I feel like I need to have a better uh, set of rules for myself and I've seen a couple of people I've seen a couple of people coming out talking about using the CSS preprocessors, but don't use the the really fancy stuff from them like stick to basically just mix-ins and variables mm. uh, maybe nesting um, but I think both SAS and less have those supports but as soon as you start doing anything more than that, and start using some of the really crazy things, or really uh, the really outlandish things that you aren't used to. Um, that that can start to, to bite you pretty quickly if you start to to go too far in there. But you know, it's still important to know the naming. Like, what should I name these things? Like, I don't know. I I, I feel like there's still a lot of work that is to be done to come up with good best practices for managing CSS for a project. It's yeah. not as easy as some people make it out to be. I don't think. Uh, did you have more work things?
0: Uh, I could talk about loads of stuff, I think, but it depends. Do you want to talk about our topic, or do you want to leave the topic the next time?
1: Um, We we should maybe start switching to the topics. So I think we both had that goal of we wanted to have a topic this time yeah, around. Yeah, so let's so. do it. Okay. You start. I will start. So our topic is on HTTP 2.0. Yeah. And the first time I really paid attention to that um it was actually a, i think it was a tweet from larry garfield mentioned having read the spec from top to bottom um and then i think it was a year or two ago maybe not that long ago i don't know And my my it could have been last week but it, i think it was at least a year ago um and i, I think i said something like uh oh, you know it, is it important <laughs> it's uh because you know I, I didn't have anything else to to say on it at that time and i, I didn't know like are there any big changes and um he basically replied and said that we're working in a language that is entirely based on HTTP, because everything like PHP is basically a bunch of HTTP globals <laughs> uh, super globals put in certain ways to make pages, so uh, it was very important for us. And I took that advice as uh, ignoring it until we decided to do HTTP 2.0 for this talk, um, mostly because I guess it's, I guess it's sort of related to the the whole bike shed thing. Like I don't think that I know enough about what goes on in HTTP for me to have any say or any real idea of what's going on this back until it's done. Hmm. Um, so now that it's done, it makes sense for me to start looking at it and figuring it out. Because I wasn't going to get involved before then. Yeah. And uh, Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we should say we originally uh, scheduled to do this show. It was going to be the day that they... Either submitted to the IEA for the final review, or the, the announced that it was done. You know, yeah. Uh, obviously, we're a bit late now, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, I've I've glan I'd, I've done. I was less aware of it than you were. Uh, I mean, I was I knew of it and I'd seen a couple of presentations. Uh, one of them, I which I, one of which I actually referenced coming preparing for the show. But yeah, I, I've been it's been off my radar for some time now. But it is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so, anyway.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I basically based it off, a co- my notes, off a couple of articles that I read. So I wanted to get some high-level opinions from people who were either involved or had looked at it a great deal. Um, and the biggest things that I was interested in was, what's the difference? Yep. What are the biggest differences? And I think the thing that I took away that was the biggest difference that, initial, like, my initial reaction was, what? Um, is that it's going to be a binary protocol?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and taking it as a binary protocol and saying it's backwards compatible with HTTP 1.0, uh, 1.0 as far as like the rest of it is concerned. If I, it took me a little while of reading. Like, I, I, that did not make sense to me at all. And I sort of just had to let that go <laughs> and read on before I came back to realize that, that it's just that the transport layer is the important part here. And as far as interpreting the HTTP headers and the bodies and everything, that's just, that's the the transport layers and implementation detail. Yeah. They
0: say the semantics are the same.
1: Yeah. And and I wasn't quite sure how that worked until I I really looked at it as a separation between how the data gets here and how I'm going to interpret it as a programmer, like at at the level that I normally interpret HTTP. So it took me a little while to understand that and fully grasp that, but... Um, I thought it was pretty interesting that they were able to make that distinction between how you consume the messages and how the messages are actually transported. Which I didn't think that those could be kept separate for some reason. Mm.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, as far as I know, everything's staying the same. I mean, as, I mean, as programmers, you know, I don't think we'll actually have as consumers of the libraries, we won't have any. Difference mm-hmm. except in the way we work rather than how we work with it. So, uh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, so the, the binary thing, the reason being for the binary is mostly for the multiplexing, right?
1: Is that right? Um, yeah. I, I think that was a big part of it was so that you could have multiple streams. Yeah. Or so, uh, multiple streams of data, or multiple sets of data within one stream.
0: Right. Okay. So so it's I mean, um the, the thing I looked at was I don't know, the thing I sort of looked at first was why why do we need it? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Rather yeah. than what the differences are, why do we need it? And then um, mm-hmm. actually got I, I kinda went down the rabbit hole a bit with that. Uh in learning some things that I probably should have known anyway and some things <laughs> that I probably might have known and forgotten about. So uh things mm-hmm. like um I think one thing I kept seeing was uh, that HTTP is naturally short and bursty, uh, whereas TCP was actually built for long-lived communication or long-lived flows of communication. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an abuse of the TCP protocol, the way HTTP works, whereas obviously the move to HTTP 2 would be using, rather than using several TCP connections, which is how one of the hacks we as developers have worked got around the, the limits of http 1.0 we'll be using one connection that will be multiplexing so we'll be able to send multiple streams back and forth of different things at the same time um, and i thought that was pretty cool um some uh, did you read anything about the uh, tcp slow tcp slow start no all right so so one of the reasons well one of the things that slows us down as developers As these the front, so, so let's go backtrack a little bit more. So the front end of our websites is where performance is actually a, a hit now these days. So I saw a slide that showed some um, timings for various large websites. And um, it was something about the time taken to DOM loaded event or whatever it is on, on the front end was um 40, 14% was actually in the back end 86% was actually on the front end so that's 14% of the time was the server sending down that initial page and then the rest 86% of the time was it loading the sheets, the javascript the the images and all this stuff mm-hmm. so that's where it's uh it costs us uh, basically so one of the things we've done to get around that is to do, you know, we do parallel requests because we go to different domains, things like that. But um even that doesn't work that well because of latency. Latency is the killer. Like we all got faster broadband lines now, so we've all got faster top speeds, but actually latency hurts us more. Faster uh, connections are great for l- big files, you know, one continuous long stream, but when you Requesting lots of smaller files, latency causes problems. And I learned that one of the reasons why latency can be higher is because of this TCP slow start thing. It's not a bug, it's a feature. To prevent congestion in the TCP protocol, it has what is called the slow start thing. And this starts off with, as the client, you send this... um it's called a receive window to the server, saying, uh, "My buffer is this big," and the server says something along the lines of, "Okay, you can send me one packet," and you send it one. So you send it one packet, and then you have to wait for it to acknowledge it. But when it when it has acknowledged it, it sends you this thing's called the congestion window. So that one packet is the congestion window. Once you've acknowledged that one packet, the server kind of gives you a bit more trust. He says, "Okay, you can fire two packets at me this time, before waiting for your acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And if that works, and then next time it'll be four packets or however it might increase. So the idea is that the um, you the the protocol won't or tries to prevent. It sort of tests the network to see how well it's performing so as not to fire off multiple packets into a network that's congested. Mm -hmm. So every time we open a new TCP connection, it has to go through this slow start thing, which is a feature, but obviously costs us in terms of latency because the round-trip time is much slower at the beginning because it's only allowed Mm -hmm. to send one or two packets Blah blah. So I found that quite interesting. Hmm. Because we'll be switching to one connection with HTTP 2.0, this will be gone. And it's a much better use of TCP protocol. So I think that's kind of cool. And it leads to loads of other interesting stuff. Uh, or I found it interesting. The things we've started doing as, particularly front-end web developers, almost can go away. Or some of it, right? Did you think that? Things like the the sprite maps, They'll get, we'll get, get rid of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's a, a bunch of these weird optimizations that we've done that we won't have to deal with.
0: Anymore. Yeah, because no. we've created. If people aren't familiar with sprite maps, it's where you put all of your imi- all of your smaller images, icons, whatever it is, into one big image. Because uh, HTTP is works better with one big download because the latency of creating several connections and, and downloading seven files individually. Costs, performance-wise. So we download one big file that has all the images on and then we pick them out as we're going uh, and place them on our web page as we like. Um it goes back to, it's a gaming technique, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, um, You know, some of those things might still happen. I mean, we, we might still have other reasons for doing some of those things. Like It might still end up being faster to move an image around rather than put you know, hmm. Six hundred images on the screen um but yeah if, if if the reason if it turns out that the only reason we're really doing some of these techniques is to bypass the latency, then yeah, I think that we will see less of that,
0: yeah, but it's like it's like because it's the HTTP b two point will be multiplexes, so you can you can literally say to the to the server, Give me these ten images, and then they will come back to you in an unknown order. But it probably is one continuous stream of data.
1: Which brings up cache push, yeah. Where the server can actually say, "Here's the HTML, and oh by the way, you're going to need these ten images," and yeah. send it to the, the, the client right away.
0: Um, so that's really cool as well, isn't it? So that's a uh, the client would say, "Give me this page, get slash," and then the server will say, "Here's slash, but also I know you are going to need." This this CMS this CSS this JavaScript these images, and it will push those down the pipe, and the client will know what to do with it. That's really cool, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the the thing that I had problem with there was I thought it was a really unfortunate name because it cache push to me just seems weird. Like the name sounds backwards to me. Did it? Did you have that problem at all? Um. I I didn't really, but that's probably because I,
0: I I've been looking at this like I don't understand anything, so I just figured it was a relevant name and I just didn't understand it.
1: Yeah, so the the context that I read it in was that it was pushing information into your browser's cache, right? Um, which makes sense if that's what you're thinking it's doing, I suppose. But I don't feel like it tells me really how I can use it. If yeah, that makes sense.
0: But I think. Um, the- I've seen people talk about it called server push as well. Does that? Yeah, more server sense?
1: push would have made more sense to me. Uh, when I saw cache push, I, I, I wasn't sure. I, I almost thought that was the client sending pushing data to the server somehow. It seemed backwards to me. So it took it took me a little while to figure that out. I really like the idea. Mm. I think it's great what they're doing. Uh, I just felt like the naming was was very confusing to me. But it wasn't to you, so maybe maybe it's I'm thinking about it wrong or. Brought too much yeah. uh, conflicting ideas to the table when I saw that because I, I really didn't seem right to me.
0: Yeah, so um, so that's all about like it's all about performance really, but that, that's going you know, to make a big difference in performance because we're not going to have to do sprites at least for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um. We might not have to inline images. Have you ever, you ever, have you ever done that inline images in CSS? I've, it's not something um, I've bothered with. I've,
1: I've only done it a handful of times, mostly yeah. for very, very small things. Um, I, I, Like if there's like a little icon or something that needs to be somewhere. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I don't have an external style sheet and don't want one and don't have other assets. I think I've, I've maybe done it once or twice. Yeah, so if anyone's not familiar with that,
0: it's, um. so you know where you'd usually put your URL and a... a to some image on your server, you can actually create a data URL. And that is it data colon slash slash and then base64 encoded data of an image uh, and the browser will extract that and render it as appropriate. So you won't need to do that or definitely not as much. Yeah. Uh, The sharding across different domains, uh, I'm sure people have done it before where you might serve your uh, static images off a different domain, uh, you may even have several domains. Like S, uh, I, I use ST1 uh, for static, so I've definitely seen people with ST1, ST2, ST3, ST4, mm-hmm. and the reason being because browsers will open parallel connections up to four parallel connections per domain. I think is that right? Mm-hmm. Something, something that right, like those, yeah. yeah. So that's something you won't need to do anymore because you know you've got this manual built-in, sorry, this built-in parallel connection. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And concatenating and minifying JavaScript and CSS files, which would be great, I think. There's less need for that because again, there's no latency involved in requ- mm. requesting You know, 10 JavaScript files isn't a big deal anymore. That's not going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. On compression, uh, the header compression stuff, did you read much on that?
0: Yeah, I thought that was cool
1: as well. And
0: just if I read, I hadn't really, it hadn't dawned on me about the the way they 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 showed the data or that I saw mm-hmm. as to how much of that header data is repeated constantly. Did you see that? How much which? So, uh, if you so it's talking about um, if you if you make a if your client makes a get request and includes a cookie. Mm-hmm and it usually includes things like uh, accepting code in GZIP and mm-hmm. um, that kind of uh, user agent string, and then it makes a request for another image. If you were to look at a diff of the headers that it just sent, chances are there's about 10 characters changed in the URL, Yeah, and that's that's it. Mm-hmm. So that same, same amount of same information... Same with the responses. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That same yeah. amount of information has been sent, and... I saw someone like just showed some statistics, and it was something about it was up to sixty or seventy percent of the data was actually redundant. Assuming mm. you've already made a similar request,
1: yeah, um, yeah. The I think the 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 documents that I was reading had like stats too of the different compression algorithms, and mm-hmm. one of them was just like a really super basic implementation, and that alone was able to bring it down like a considerable amount. Yeah. Just the simplistic compression that it was doing, so.
0: Yeah. So this is, so we can do compression in HTTP one, uh, but it's only on the body and mm-hmm. it requires the client to say accepts it and the server to be configured to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas this is going to be a requirement for HTTP two and it's mm-hmm. going to do headers and body. So everything will be compressed. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be good. Um, and the same on the line of the requirements. Everything's going to be, uh, encrypted. Uh, TLS is a requirement for. HTTP b two as far as I've
1: read hmm so that see thing. oh, you know what actually, I think it's not oh really, uh oh, no, but no, but i how was that and I said actually, I've been trying not to say actually like that um I th- think that they decided not to make it a requirement, but all of the vendors have said that they aren't going to su- support anything but encrypted right, okay, something along those lines, so for all intents and purposes, everything will be encrypted. But I think that it wasn't written into the spec. It's just yeah, that all the right, yeah. yeah, just that the vendors have all said yeah, we're we're only going to support encryption. Uh, I I could be wrong on that, but I I, I remember reading that and being confused because it, it seemed unclear. And I think that's why it was unclear mm. is that all of the vendors are going to support it, but the spec doesn't enforce it. But that reminded me of uh, letsencrypt.org. I can't wait till that comes out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's going to become a lot more uh, useful once we get to a place where uh, everything is going over HTTP, in- over encryption. So uh, I think that will be coming out none too soon.
0: Mm. Yeah, so I mean, one of the, the sort of more off-topic things I, was, I mentioned was uh, the uh, sort of the green effect of this Um Now, while the servers and the clients are actually going to end up doing more work because they have uncompression to do, uh, or decompression to do, they're probably going to have to do more decrypting, uh, and obviously deal with the binary format, or the frame, the binary framing it's called, isn't it? Um, Just the fact that 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 TCP traffic is going to be a, a lot more sustainable and the pressure that was going to come off all of these switches and things in between, you know, the two endpoints. Mm -hmm. Some people say, I've seen a couple of people say they think the green effect will actually be net positive. Some people say it'd be a net negative. I don't know, but it'd be interesting. You know, I wonder how, I've not seen those kind of stats. I've not seen, so I've seen people like Google and whoever it was, you know, they've put stats out about page load times and things like that but I've not seen any stats around that kind of impact, you know, the network performance uh, mm-hmm. you know, because in theory, if they're using the TCP protocol more appropriately then the hardware in the middle should be should see some relief uh, which should, I mean, not for us but for, for people like Facebook and Google, you know that's, that can be a big deal, can't it? So i mm-hmm. yeah. so. I've, I don't know how that will work out, but we'll just have to see.
1: Um, One of the other things I think this might actually have to do with it being a binary protocol is I think you can cancel requests, which you can't do currently. Um, So if you end up requesting uh, a a sizable resource or if maybe like Cache Push decides to give you uh, a big resource, you'd be able to opt in to say, stop sending that to me. Yeah, that's good. That sounded like it was another... um, network friendliness sort of thing where uh with the current the current way that th- that everything is set up you can't do that so
0: hmm. um what else did i see i'm trying to think um oh so a few more sort of side effects and um, debugging uh obviously debugging and brian and protocols is going to be a bit more difficult than our nice plain t- text that we have now yeah but um I guess that comes down to tooling. I read somewhere that Wireshark is going to... There's a plugin for it that's either out or in development. So that should be almost transparent to people like you and me. Do you use Wireshark at all?
1: I, I was going to say, you can say that that's going to make the problem easier, but have you ever used Wireshark? That's <laughs> what I was I, going to say. yeah, uh, That
0: won't make Wireshark any easier to use, certainly not. Yeah. But to no, no, I, I've I, I've used it quite a lot. Cause I, I mean, I've done a fair amount of network administration in my time, so... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I've used Wireshark quite a bit as well. and I don't find it not, friendly. Yeah. yeah, it's not fun at all. And if that's what I have to use to start debugging my HTTP requests, that's that's going to be a problem for me. <laughs> just, yeah. Um, well, I mean, but yeah.
0: there are plenty of other tools. I mean, I do you, I, you ever use Charles Proxy? I have, yes. Yeah, I mean, I assume Charles Proxy will just work. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a big yeah. assumption to make, but you'd like to think... It's yeah, you know, it's going to work. So mm. I don't think that will affect us.
1: No, but yeah, that was the thing that I thought of when I first saw that it was going to be a binary protocol. Is that I've I've grown so accustomed to you know worst case I can just tell that to the th- server and give the command and see exactly what it sends back to me, and that's going to be not possible anymore.
0: Mm. Uh, another sort of uh, side effect that could affect us was uh, I saw someone talk about. Uh, REST APIs could be uh, more sort of atypical in terms of being more specific about what they return or being more concise Mm -hmm. with what they return. So one of the things uh, quite a few people do is they have some sort of um, protocol for zooming or embedding. So if you were going to get a blog post, if you also wanted the author or something or the category it belongs to, you could have a, a, a mention it in a header or you mention it in the query string to embed the author, uh, and this is to save doing round trips, to, to save having to go back to get the author. Um, whereas with this, because those round trips aren't expensive anymore, programmers wouldn't need to do that. We wouldn't need to say, make that a feature of our API. We wouldn't need to say, if you want the author as well, you probably better ask him for it all in one go because it's just so cheap to just get the blog post and then get the author if you need it. So
1: why stop there? Just send the whole object graph. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of cool. It's not something I thought of before, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I actually, as a result of this, I actually turned on, uh, HTTP two or kind of whatever the nearest thing to it is in Chrome. Uh, you can go to Chrome SPD. colon slash slash flags, and there's a, a flag in there to enable it as uh, SPDY four, which is going essentially going HTTP two. I have no idea what kind of websites on the web support it. From the server side, you can. There are modules for Apache, Nginx, and Node.js as well. For at least for SPDY, which is the closest thing we've got to HTTP two now, uh, but I don't know who. I don't know if any of the websites I'm using are actually using it if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. I want to say that I just saw a post or a, a note that Akamai just enabled hp 2 Yeah. Or either said they were either it had deployed it or had committed to, committed to deploying it.
0: Yeah. So if someone like Akamai it. are using it then it's going to affect you on lots of sites, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think I think Google servers all support it. So um like if you're using anything that uses any of the the Google CDN stuff for delivering yep. javascript or anything those will all come that way so
0: yeah yeah so if you enable it in your browser if you if you're using firefox there's a chance you're using it already because uh, firefox has it enabled i think yeah as is so so that's kind of cool um yeah. going to be interesting uh i wonder how long it's going to take for sort of major adoption or b- I wonder how long before we can actually start thinking about these things of not bothering with yeah. uh, concatenating JavaScript files and
1: yeah, I um I don't know it it seems like something that could happen relatively quickly, especially with people using browsers that are up to version sixty. <laughs> they come up with new versions daily, mm. um, but yeah, I don't know if it's going to be something that will be like an overnight thing. Like this time next year, we're all going to be on HB two or if it's gonna be a long, slow, painful process. I think that's what they I think that was what I've read a little bit about as well, that people are already talking about HTP three and looking at how well this rolls out to see how well it's going to be or how easy it will be to do future versions and upgrade everybody. Um because apparently the upgrade from HTP one to one point one didn't go very smoothly or took a long time for people to really catch on. Um but uh, they're thinking that the HTTP2 jump is going to be a lot easier, and a lot of the stuff that they want to put into HTTP2, like as far as infrastructure is concerned, it'll make jumping to uh, newer versions of HTTP easier. Uh, I don't know if how well that will work out in practice, but I think that I think there's at least a couple of people talking about stuff that they already want to put into HTTP3. Hmm. Did you see anything along those lines? No, I've not looked that far, so. So um uh, uh, I did see a lot of stuff talk uh a lot of the documentation talked about middle boxes like like proxies all over the internet and um you know VPNs and things like that that do special things with http traffic and not wanting to confuse those and I didn't quite pick up whether or not this was going to be an easy thing for them or a hard thing for them but that seemed to be one of the big concerns was how traffic will will handle it and I thought that was one of the reasons they gave for it being a binary protocol, that if it was a binary protocol, there'd be less chance for for those things to be confused. And I wasn't really sure um, why that was the case. Did you Did you pick up on any of that?
0: Um, no. Um, and as for okay, it's probably a bit too over my head in terms of well, how that might how the binary might affect things. And I thought if it was a binary protocol, it's less likely to be. I'm abused by middlemen in terms of right. making changes to requests and things, but
1: I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, th- this seemed, you know, I th- I think that a lot of proxies right now don't do anything with encrypted data. Like, they can't do anything with it anyway. They can't ex- expose, like, they can't explore it, so they just pass it through mm-hmm. as is. And I don't know if that's part of this binary idea that if there's no way for them to decode, like, if if there's some proxy out there in the middle of the internet, if there's no way to decode the traffic flowing through it, it's still on port 80, it still looks like HTTP, like it might have the, the start line or whatever, but the rest of it is all data. I don't know. Hmm. Um, that was actually something I didn't check. It is still port 80, right?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Hmm.
1: That's what, I should um, read into that a little more.
0: There's um something about if you're using an encrypted channel, Mm -hmm. there's some sort of uh, port negotiation thing a port discovery or sorry, protocol discovery that goes on with the so when the during the encryption handshake Mm -hmm. there can be some communication over there that says hey we do ACDB2 you know as part of that deal right whereas obviously with the the other part the, so the unencrypted, there is no handshake. There's just the. Here's my request. So you know how's the client actually going to know that it can send the,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the uh, HTTP two request? I don't know.
1: Right. So I wasn't sure how that was supposed to play out, but I mm-hmm. I felt like those were kind of the problems that people were con- cons- most concerned about with deploying HTTP two. Is all of these boxes that are out there intercepting web traffic right now and then potentially doing something with it. And I thought that was one of the reasons they said the binary protocol was going to be helpful. And I I wasn't really following why it was going to be helpful. Yeah. So yeah, my my big takeaway from this was um, it sounds like it's going to be more or less transparent to the everyday PHP programmer. It looks like some of the tools for like Node, like some of the example code I saw in Node, Look like they were doing stuff that actually leveraged some of the new ideas, like like being able to do cache push and things like that. Um, I don't exactly know how we would ever be able to do that with PHP uh, without actually changing PHP itself to expose some of those controls. Um, so I, I don't get the sense that we'll be doing anything like that anytime soon, unless like React project or something wants to implement an HTTP two server. That has those extra bits mm. that you can hook into.
0: I think it's more likely communicating it with the ver- with the server, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. so at the minute, if you want to do like the X Send File header, you're familiar with that. Mm. So, yeah. no, so as an application, in the response, you could say, "I set an X Send File header." That would get picked up by Apache. I'm not sure if Nginx does it, it might do as well. And when Apache would read that, and you give it a path, so a path to a file on disk, a local disk, Apache will read that header, fetch that, grab that file, and send that as the body. Hmm. So rather than have to read it in a PHP process and stream it to Apache to stream to the client, you can just tell Apache, send this file and it will grab the file for you and send it. So I can imagine it working a bit like that. So if you're you know you're going to you get a request for your index page, you could probably set a couple of headers to tell apache to cache push the styles and the javascript. If it's not particularly obvious. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if that's going to work, but that's how I imagine it could work. Mhm. Definitely. Um one thing I saw that was interesting. If you go on the the uh, the GitHub repo for the spec, uh there's a, I think there's a list of uh, clients that are being worked on, and there is no PHP client that, as far as I can see, no PHP implementation. There was Ruby. There was Go. There was See, obviously, and everything else you can think of, but there was definitely no PHP one. And I had a quick search, and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see if Guzzle was thinking about it, or I mean, because they're obviously based on Curl, so I guess,
1: yeah, it would be limited to whatever I'm, Curl's doing.
0: Well, gu- yeah, well, Guzzle's based on Curl, but there are PHP HTTP libraries that use the sockets, aren't there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In which case, they would have to program to the protocol, right? Yep. But I guess it's probably too big a deal. Especially when we've got Kale so easily available. Yeah. Hey, we'll see, won't we?
1: Yep. Cool, well, I guess... I don't know when we'll actually start playing with that or start seeing it in, in production or whatever. But hopefully it doesn't impact us too much. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. seem like it's going to.
0: No, I mean... I'd, having read about it a bit more, I think it's put it, it more to my to the forefront of my mind. And I mean, I'd definitely have a look at the, the server side offerings in terms of the Apache and the Nginx modules and see what are available and how well they work and yeah, what, what you have to put into them to, uh, to get anything out really. Cause it's interesting mm-hmm. if Firefox users are making the benefit of it now, if Chrome users are, can, I mean, it's uh, I guess it's only a matter of time before that flag gets switched to enabled by default. Yeah. Uh, it might be worth looking into at least. I wonder how. I mean, I wonder if things like how long it'll be before things like uh, Amazon, Amazon, uh, their Elastic Load Balancers get it, because obviously then you don't just very little to worry about in terms of. Yeah. You don't need to configure your uh, servers and things for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, because then it they would have to build a HP two or an HB one point one client that basically multiplexes everything out
0: yeah we do side.
1: cool yeah that would be pretty neat because then anybody who's already using that would just it would just automatically start working for them yeah at least the
0: i mean i guess you'd have to i don't know i don't know how it'll work but anyway <laughs> yeah okay cool. so uh I hope we've uh, given some information to some people about that uh, yeah I've certainly learned a lot I don't know if I've I have uh, do not know how if it, if it made for interesting discussion but uh, it was nice to uh, to do a bit of reset if you like so yep. cool oh that's uh, cool
1: yeah. yeah and I I need to start getting ready to head to Chicago I, did I mention earlier in the podcast that I'm going to mid-camp
0: you did I'm yes going. so uh, yep. have a good time and then yeah. we'll uh, we'll be back next week hopefully uh, with more yep. of that podcast yep
1: Cool. all right i guess we'll call this one a wrap you've been listening to that podcast with bo and dave you can find bo on twitter and google plus at bo simonson and dave on twitter at dave development You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us, but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Grillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled G-R-I-L-L-O.